0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name is Zach, and this week we have a very special guest with us. We have Jim McClure from Talking Tabletop. Jim, how are you doing today? I,
1: I'm doing outstanding, and I, I get to be a very special guest. I'm sure you say that about everyone, but I'm I'm treating that as, as special treatment solely for me, and I'm getting warm and fuzzies from it.
0: Oh, it is just for you, Jim. It is just <laughs> for you, because, because if if you haven't listened to the podcast before, you are our first guest.
1: Am I really? Yeah, yeah. See, now I have to actually like live up to something. I don't appreciate that kind of pressure.
0: (laughs) I mean, I mean, somebody has to be our first. And why not? Why not Jim McClure? It
1: can only go uphill from there. Yes, absolutely. It's a wise choice. A wise choice.
0: Oh, you are modest, my friend. You are modest. (laughs) For the people that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: My name is Jim McClure. I am the co-owner of Third Act Publishing, uh, which is a games company that produces primarily tabletop RPGs as well as we dabble in a little bit of board games. We had our first Kickstarter last year with a little game called Reflections, the game of dueling samurai. And uh, as of this thing airing, we have a brand new Kickstarter that's out for Satanic Panic, uh, which I'm sure we will talk about a little bit later. But uh, that's kind of what I do in the, the game design world as well as I actually have gotten involved with uh, helping other people publish their games, which is a whole other long, long topic in and of itself. And on top (laughs) of doing that, I also do podcasting. I have my own podcast called Talking Tabletop where I sit down and interview notable people from the world of, of the tabletop industry. And then I'm involved with just a whole bunch of other things in that regard. Uh, I, I'm part of the one shot podcast network and I'm a regular contributor to uh, evil campaign. their their ongoing, uh, star Wars, uh, actual play that they do. And I make a bunch of appearances sort of all over the place. So kind of a little bit of everything, I suppose.
0: Yeah. You, you have a bunch of free
1: time. I can really tell. <laughs> yeah. Free, free time is something I do not have. sir. If I could, (laughs) figure out how to get rid of either the day job or sleeping that would be a significant improvement on my life but uh so far neither solution for either of those those obstacles yet
0: (laughs) i i completely understand that uh speaking of day job what is yours
1: I have I have such a boring day job, really, and no one ever asked me about it. Uh, I am a business consultant for the insurance restoration industry. I just relatively recently switched sides within the war. Uh, what I do is I, I work in the insurance restoration industry, which is property insurance for water, fire, mold-type restoration projects. And for 12 years, I worked on the contractor side, teaching contractors how to do this kind of work as well as how to work with insurance companies uh, and all of that wonderful process. Process. And I uh, say in the last year, I have switched sides of the war as the case may be. And now I consult for the insurance companies, teaching them how to deal with contractors who do this work for them. So it is <laughs> it is the the most boring of all, but it is the, the corporate side of Jim. People
0: need to know about that corporate side of
1: gym. (laughs) There is a strong, (laughs) strong corporate gym, yes, that goes to work with a a suit and tie and has to make decisions that deal with like a whole bunch of big, long strings of zeros for for money that is just (laughs) absurd amounts that I can't even really mentally process. But yes, that is what pays the rent at this point in time. Absolutely.
0: I mean, whatever you can do, do it. Just a a starting, a jumping off point, more or less. What's your story? How did you get started with? Tabletop and and how did that evolve into everything you do now?
1: Oh goodness, I I have like three different origin stories. Which one do you? They're all true too. None, none of them are a lot. I could make one up. It's probably more interesting. But let's let, let's go with how I got into doing the stuff that I talked about earlier, uh, and that mm-hmm. was. Uh, let's see. All right. Th- this won't be, be too long of a story How about that, but it all started when roll 20 launched actually, for those who don't know mm-hmm. what roll 20 is, it's an online platform where you can go and meet up with people and play tabletop. And I had just gotten into tabletop a couple of years prior to this, and I really wanted to find more people to play with. So roll 20 launched, uh, I, I sort of thought it was a really, really great system, great program, great place for people to meet. So I jumped on that and what I actually started doing was running introductory sessions for people to teach them how to play tabletop and I was teaching them how to play 4th edition Dungeons and Dragons because this was prior to 5th edition D&D coming out so that was the newest version there of the game and I was just running people I had essentially a, a 4 week play session that I would run people through and my requirement was you had to have never played tabletop before to get in one of the games and I would spend a month I would teach you how to play D&D 4th edition I'd teach you the basics tabletop and then I would shoo you out the door along your way because now you have the, <laughs> the tools you need to to get into a real game and for about a year I ran that I ran I think it was 14 tables through my and uh, D path to glory was what I called the thing uh teaching <laughs> teaching people how to how to do tabletop and I had a couple people come back to me and say hey Jim we really appreciate everything you did teaching us tabletop would you do something similar to teach us how to dm and I went hmm that's a little bit more involved of a process. Uh, and instead of jumping right into it, I decided to look around and see what all was out there for resources uh, to help these people before I did something. Because my 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 motto in life is, uh, I really don't want to ever have to create and do anything myself. I want someone else to have already done it for me. So when I want something, I go looking for it, and the stuff I create is the stuff that I can't seem to find anywhere else. And I'm like, well, damn it, now I have to create it. So I looked around, and there was a group on Roll20, called the GM Academy, not the RPG Academy, uh, who is a podcast network that I was part of for a period of time, but something called the GM Academy, which was there to help people learn tabletop. I kind of directed them that direction. I I got involved with them and I started doing online seminars for the GM Academy, teaching how to GM games and how to run tabletop games. And that uh, from there sort of branched out into me starting my own podcast, doing Talking Tabletop. Then ultimately I joined the One Shot Podcast Network from there and then i decided to get into this crazy crazy thing called game design and started putting out games <laughs> that was kind of the the genesis or uh, or i should say that genesis of, of how i got into doing all this crazy nonsense
0: yeah absolutely i i've heard uh, uh hell, all of your your episodes on your podcast
1: oh i appreciate that
0: you've talked about you know that whole transition between the rpg academy and one shot podcast network Is it my understanding that before you even joined RPG Academy, there were possibilities that you would join
1: the one-shot network? Uh, Yeah. Okay. So now we're, 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 we're 10 minutes in and we're going to get into deep cuts. Okay. (laughs) So here's, here's, here's the story for those who, for those who know, or those who care, I suppose. When I was gearing up to, to start a podcast, I had been in talks with James D'Amato, who uh, many people probably know, uh, who is the the sort of James and Kat, the people who own the One Shot Podcast Network, uh, or what has become the One Shot Podcast Network. It was not a network at the time. And I had been talking with them because uh, they had expressed interest in perhaps me coming on and doing something on their network. I was interested in joining them. Uh, I got along with James and Kat very, very well. Um, but when it came time to that I was ready to launch, they were not ready to pull the trigger on expanding into a network. They didn't know if they wanted to be a network. They might have just wanted to be, you know, one shot and campaign in the projects that James and Cat did. So they weren't ready. Um, so they kind of left it with a hey, if we are interested in expanding into a network, you're going to be the first person that we call. And I was like, okay, that's, that's great. And I was kind of like out in the woods a little bit. And Michael, uh, who then runs the RPG Academy, who I got to know uh, over a period of time, who coincidentally we met in Chicago for the first time. And we lived literally two miles from each other in Cincinnati um, <laughs> in, in one of those weird coincidences of life. Uh, but he said, hey, you don't need to flounder out and just you know do nothing on your own. If you want, come in, join the RPG Academy network. And then if one shot expands, no hard feelings, you can by all means go. Go you know go go to them and uh, you know a, as you've been talking but in the meantime you know you can go ahead and be be part of our wonderful little family so the the, the deep <laughs> cut was when I launched I was on the RPG Academy network and we always knew that if One Shot opened up and expanded uh, that that was sort of the the primary home for Talking Tabletop uh, and about three four months after we launched Talking Tabletop of course One Shot decided to expand and I joined joined their network and Michael and the RPG Academy have never forgiven me for being the dirty filthy betrayer that I am. (laughs)
0: Have you, have you always wanted to do podcasts? I mean, how, how did that thought pop into your head?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, I guess the simple answer to that is no, I, I, I wasn't five years old going, I want to be a podcaster when I grow up. Um, (laughs) so I, I guess no to that, but, uh, you know, I, I've always wanted to be, I've always wanted to be a game designer since very, very early age. That's all I've ever wanted to be. I wanted to design games for a living and, when I started, when I discovered tabletop and, and started looking at it, I thought, despite what every single person that I've had on my show has told me, I think making a living doing tabletop game design is a smart choice. Again, despite what everyone, including people like Monty Cook and Shauna Germain and John Wick, and I say all, all the people that have done this thing for a living, they've all told me, no, you're foolish to you do it. I'm like, nah, I think this is the right way to go. <laughs> uh, so I've wanted to go that that route. Part of... Going that route in the modern age is if you want to be a game designer, you have to have some sort of voice and presence within the community. You need to you need to do that in this day and age if you want to have a, a presence in which you can you can build a game design company off of. And as I'm a person that uh, for some stupid reason enjoys hearing my own voice over and over and over again, I uh, I ended up I was like, hey, podcasting seems to be a thing. I can I can talk into the mics. It's something I would enjoy doing in my limited experience before I launched a podcast, it all seemed like wonderful fun. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's do this podcast thing. And then I learned that there's editing involved. Oh my goodness. That is editing is of the devil who no one warned <laughs> me about the, the true extent that has to be involved in that nonsense. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I guess I was, was not born wanting to be a podcaster, but I have, I have slipped into the role and in, enjoyed it for, for the most part, other than the the four hours a week or 12 hours Hours a week, depending on if I have one or two shows coming out that week uh, that have have editing involved.
0: Yeah, and and with schedules being busy and everything, especially for you who has eight hundred things that they have to do every single day, editing is is that one thing that you don't want to do.
1: Yes. Oh, it's awful. It's all there's no fun in it. There's no no someone needs to make some way to make editing fun editing is the worst and I'm also one of these people I can't do anything else when I'm editing so I'm like all right I'm sitting down and this is what I'm doing and I'm just going to gnash my teeth the whole time and deal with the fact that this is this is editing hour deal with it Jim
0: I am exactly the same way I I completely agree with you on that, on
1: that, that topic Oh, isn't it just the worst? Everyone all, all everyone listening, you need to just accept bad audio quality, right? Accept <laughs> the fact that we make mistakes.
0: Jim, don't listen to my first episode. <laughs> I I, pr- I I promise you you will regret it. <laughs> Just just skip uh, straight to the to the second episode. That's that's all I ask you to do. See my my
1: my second one was my bad one. Um, and that that that's because my first one I didn't know enough, and then I edited it and got it. Out. I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And then my second one I knew better, so I was like, oh, I need to really overwrite at this, but I didn't know how to make the cuts good. So when I go back and listen to it, <laughs> I can't even listen because I'm like, I hear where I made all the cuts because I didn't know what I was doing. No, yeah, yeah, my, yeah. My, my my second one's my cringeworthy one. I can't, oh, can't listen to it.
0: Oh, man, my our first episode was completely horrible because, you know, I, I use um, audio hijack for mm-hmm. for when I rip straight from Skype calls and uh, for, for whatever reason, something messed up. It recorded my voice track twice and, it, and I just had to do a bunch of fiddling and it turned out horrible, but it got it out there.
1: And it's it's way too quiet. See, I, I've I've always all right. I'll, I'll give you here's here's a little behind the scenes fun story. Um, Ooh, yeah. ho- hopefully, hopefully, John won't be too mad about me telling this story. But uh, it was my ninth or tenth interview. I interviewed John Zinzer, who's the the owner of Outrak Entertainment, and I interviewed him right after he sold Legend of Five Rings. And those that know me know I'm I'm a big fan of Legend of Five Rings, the greatest oh, well, game we'll get, ever ever made by me. We'll get into that. Ever, ever we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but It's so I interviewed I interviewed John uh, and I'm I'm the kind of asshole that I I wouldn't do any of the audio rips or anything. I require people to record their own audio. And John Zinzer is not the most computer literate guy. Uh, You know, he knows (laughs) how to use computers and all that, but he doesn't know how to do audio recording. He's never done all this. So I literally have a write-up for I go, here are all the steps that you need to do. That he downloaded Audacity, he recorded all the audio locally. All of that went off without a hitch until we got to after the interview. And he could not – he was getting this weird error. He could not export the audio off. And there was oh, a 45-minute nail-biter where we were trying to get the audio off of his computer just in some sort of saved format from Audacity so that it could be there. And I'm like, if at any point he hits the wrong button, it's gone forever, and the interview is just gone, mm-hmm. and it took us a month mm-hmm. and a half to set this thing up and just no. So then we, we finally figured it out. But, yes, that was, that was a fun little 45 minutes of terror for Jim McClure.
0: Oh, man. Oh, I feel for you. I absolutely feel for you. <laughs> and in uh in in our case for the last few episodes we brought um Mark's friend Steve who's mm-hmm. kind of newer to uh to the tabletop world and everything. And uh my my fear is I'm going to lose one of those tracks, either Mark's or Steve's. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. just like one of is going to be gone and I'm like I can't use this episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's all there. But uh mm. But yeah, there's always fear when it comes to doing that and sending files across the uh, the multiverse that is the internet. Yes. Now, you, Jim McClure. That's me.
1: I'm scared now.
0: Your catchphrase. I'm, I'm calling it your catchphrase <laughs> because you say it every episode and I'm sure multiple times on your day-to-day life. Uh, of course. Tabletop is the highest form of entertainment known to mankind. What's your argument?
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right you, i'm you not
0: disagreeing hear- but i just want to hear your your argument <laughs>
1: all right you, you want to hear the argument yes it's, i i truly honestly believe tabletop is the highest form of art known to mankind now of course that that sounds laughable and absurd how can you measure art we absolutely can measure art um here's what i hold that the purpose of art is to elicit an emotional response from something you are not directly emotionally connected to. So it's not a family member, it's not a dog, it's not a whatever, it is a piece of work, it is a movie, it's a piece of, it's a painting hanging on the wall, it is a video game, it is something that you are going to interact with that will elicit an emotional response. That is art to me. Now, I will I will take you to I will take you to a scene. Uh, and that <laughs> scene is uh we are we are standing in Rokugan, the world of L5R. And it is it is myself, it is it is Moto, it was Kakita Kanji and it was Shishuro. standing here. They had just killed Moto's horse because a Funakoshi had done this this Master stroke of trickery that had been a year's building up to, resulting in Moto slaying his own horse as opposed to slaying Agasha Funakoshi, and the four of us stood there in complete and total silence at the horror that had just occurred, and we looked at each other and went, "I guess it's time to finish this," and in that moment. We were not Jim, Emily, Greg, and Tom sitting around a table in Cincinnati, Ohio. No, we were, we were the invisible force of the GM. We were Moto, we were Kanji, and we were Shishiro in Rokugan. Every single, all four of us will tell you, we, we weren't in Cincinnati at that point in time. We were standing in Rokugan. We felt what happened. We knew what happened. That is art we were not separated from the art we were the piece of art we were a hundred percent there we've got ptsd from that event happening (laughs) and i have never gotten that from a video game i have never gotten that from a movie i have watched and enjoyed a thousand movies i have never legitimately thought i was in that movie and that to me is what makes tabletop the highest form of art known to mankind how about that beautiful beautiful jim
0: my heart is sinking right now.
1: <laughs> I'm feeling that. <laughs> oh, it was so sad. The greatest oh, Goshabunakoshi, greatest villain I've ever made. Oh my god. Saying his name around those three people immediately elicits gnashing oh, of teeth. So good. Ah, oh, I love oh, that campaign so much.
0: Were you the, the GM for that campaign?
1: Oh yes, yes I was. Um yes. and and the was my little my little masterstroke of a, a year-long plan that culminated in the uh the fall court uh and when when they when they finally got to brutally murder him it was the most satisfying thing for all of us. Ah. ah. now I'm just reminiscing, but I love it. I love tabletop. <laughs> it's so good.
0: Hey, that I that's why we're both here. That's, that's exactly why we're here.
1: Exactly. My f-
0: My favorite Robin Law's quote that I heard John Wick say years and years ago on a podcast, tabletop is the only, or role-playing games are the only literary medium where the artist and the audience are the same person.
1: Yes. I I do put one asterisk beside that because modern professional wrestling has slightly turned into that where the audience, I feel, are participants of the LARP that is professional wrestling. But other than that small little asterisk, I 100% agree.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and I know your love of, of professional wrestling as well as many other things i do <laughs> yeah, I do I do,
1: yeah. I do I do I do
0: We're not going to get into l five r quite yet, <laughs> okay, because we could Fair. we could talk for a few hours about that
1: yes, we could, but uh
0: let's kind of move more recently to reflections. Where yes. did that idea come from where i mean okay. what what made you want to release that?
1: So Reflections is a, a very specific game and a very specific play experience. It started with, uh, it seems with all my stories, there's, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that always seems to happen, <laughs> as any good story should. I heard, I don't even really remember, nope, I do remember where I heard it. It was on the Misdirected Mark podcast. Uh, they did a little shout-out to me saying, hey, we heard about this game called A Single Moment, which was made by Toby Abad, who's a Filipino game designer. Um, his first full game that he had put out, uh, and it was a game about two samurai coming together and, and having a duel, a duel to the death. And I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. Um, you know, here's this little game that, you know, not many people have ever heard of. Uh, so I reached out to Toby, talked with him. Toby's an absolute wonderful guy. And I approached him with the idea of doing a re release and a relaunch of this game, um, you know, sort of for a, a wider audience and that we would sort of bring it, you know, br- bring it out into prominence a little bit more. And after we had a lot of conversations back and forth, and I had some ideas for how I want to do a game, just like, you know, a- any designer is going to have. Have different ideas. If, if I were to make mm-hmm. L5R, you know, I would design it. As much as I love L5R Fourth Edition, I would design a different game. So anyone would design a little bit of a different game, uh, you know, than any other person. So I had some ideas, and after a, a long conversation that we had, what we decided was that the game that I wanted to do was different enough that we would do it as its own game, as opposed to a revised version. And that game became Reflections. So Toby was was working with me on it. He co-designed Reflections with me and. And we launched Reflections last year. We did the Kickstarter. It was my first ever Kickstarter. And and despite what I mentioned earlier about during during my day job, I I consult on some just astronomically large amounts of of ones and zeros and not the computer kind, but the money kind. When when you're doing your own <laughs> Kickstarter and and it's your own backers and your own dollars, it's an entirely different feel to it. And it was Really scary, actually, in in all the the best and worst ways at the same time. But we did the we did the Kickstarter launch for Reflections, and it was a a wonderful experience. Uh, for my first Kickstarter, I had eight hundred and twenty five backers, which was far more than I expected to have for this fun little game. Wow. It was it was really good, and we we got it out. Uh, we we got to get it out. I was one week late on my my commitment to get it out. The commitment was to mail it out by the the end of twenty sixteen, and it was the first week in January that it went out I was so sad I missed it by a week but I was I was close <laughs> but we, we got the, the the game book out to everyone just recently in that regard and a lot of people have been having a ton of fun with it so uh, I was very very happy with the reflections process and learned learned a lot about the kick-starting and working on games and getting everything out in that whole whole wonderful process
0: oh I bet I remember maybe about a year ago or so i was listening to a podcast may have been npc cast may have been full metal rpg i don't remember who it was they had mentioned reflections they had mentioned this game and that it was kickstarting and and from that moment when i heard that pitch from whoever said it i was hooked
1: and and that is a, a real important concept actually because let me let me can i can i tell you a dirty secret about reflections oh absolutely it's not a game about dueling samurai that's that's a marketing lie. All right. Here's all right. Here's corporate Jim's putting his tie on here for a second. OK, um, here's the <laughs> funny thing about Reflections. Reflections is billed as the game of dueling samurai. The pitch is you are both samurai that have come together on a field to kill each other. One of you will live. One of you will die. This is a certainty. But before you make that Final cut against your opponent. You flash back in time and relive the events of your past that turned you from wonderful friends to bitter enemies and led to this final duel. Now that gives a pretty clear evocative like, I, I want to have that play experience, don't I? Yeah, that sounds great. And it hooks people as as it should. It's a marketing pitch. The reality, if you look at the mechanics of the game, is it has nothing to do with samurai. I've perhaps phrased some <laughs> of the questions with a samurai theme to it, but you can use the game for any situation where two people would have a conflict that comes to an ultimate resolution. Actually, within the game book, we have five different settings in there that are non-samurai things written by some actually pretty interesting people. Uh, John Wick, who made Legend of the Five Rings, actually wrote a Sky Pirate setting for it. Ken Height, who's of course done a little bit of everything, Everything in the, in the the game world, he wrote a gunslinger's version of it. So even though I specifically marketed it as a a samurai duel, the rules and system itself is just a dueling system, and any situation where a duel could happen, the system would work for. But why did I pitch it to samurai? Because I want to be able to give you a specific, evocative experience to hook you onto the project. So there's there's the the, the corporate marketing side of Jim coming out for a second, telling you the the dirty secret of reflections is it is a game that has nothing to do with samurai yet it's pitched as a samurai game how's that for honesty
0: hey it's it's great i love the honesty that's we i have to get these dirty little secrets somehow
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but if you remember maybe a week ago week and a half ago i uh tweeted you and said hey can this be, be adapted to different yep you know different uh genres just so it it can attract more people and you know there's the explanation
1: and that's the, the the interesting thing is the reason I made it laser, laser focus is because I feel that a game attracts more people to it if it has a specific purpose as opposed to being generic. So mm-hmm. even though I made a rule set that is very generic uh, in its application, I marketed it for a specific focus because I actually believe that brings more people to it who will then take it and do their own things with it.
0: Absolutely, yeah and that's what makes a game system successful mm-hmm. is is it's able to attract that many different kinds of people
1: absolutely I agree one hundred
0: percent and back when I was listening to this podcast, you know you know time had went by and time had went by, and i I stumbled upon talking tabletop and started listening and and uh followed you on Twitter and everything and that that day reflections had released, you had posted about it. And I was like, wait, that's this guy?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I don't talk about it on my own show enough then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the,
0: the coincidental I heard about it from a different podcast that wasn't yours. And, you know, here I'm sitting and talking to you today, you know?
1: Hey, so the, the RPG world, it, it, it's a small little world that we all live in.
0: So, so you say you're, you're a game developer. What games have you worked on? What's under your belt?
1: oh goodness well see it 's mostly my own stuff. I kind of get I, I get very inspired by my own projects and love to work on my own projects. so there 's been a few games that i have I have put out in the world i 've done a little bit of writing for a couple other games, um, but nothing nothing that major of note yet because i haven 't gone out and looked up i 've gotten a lot of offers to write for a lot of games that i 've turned down just because I have a really busy schedule and I get motivated by my <laughs> own stuff. So, okay. Alright, all right. story time. So the first RPG I ever designed. Uh, I designed an RPG before I had ever even played an RPG. I just didn't realize I designed a tabletop game. Uh, and that's my my wrestling RPG. My pro wrestling tabletop game that a very, very small select group of people have ever seen because I have no interest in ever publishing it for a wider market because it, it does a very specific thing. But if you ever come to a catacon in Dayton, Ohio every year Um, I bring out this game and run it for a table of about eight people. So if if you ever want to do it, that's like my one spot where I run this game for people and you can actually get a glimpse of it. But that was the first tabletop game I ever actually designed. And I did that um, four or five years before I knew what a tabletop game was, before I'd ever played D&D or anything. And then when I got introduced to Dungeons & Dragons, I was like, oh, I made one of these. I didn't realize I made one of these. Wait, there's an entire community of people that want this type of game? That's amazing so that was technically my first game but again it's kind of a tease because you can't find it anywhere because I haven't put it anywhere but my first official game I guess I ever made was I made a little game called the terrible RPG, which is up for free. You can go, go get it and play it, which is a super simple concept that makes for an absurd amount of fun. And that is you play a character. You'll, you'll do a setting. I, I have a couple, couple games I typically run. One is a eighties martial arts action tournament. Uh, you know, so it's the typical, you're a secret FBI agent and you have to go to this Island where they're having a martial arts tournament to take over the world. You know, the stupid hijinks that, uh, that always happens in eighties movies. And then the other one I do is sort of, like a Zoolander. I always seem to go secret agents. Your your, your secret agent male models, (laughs) or I should just say models, depending on who's playing the game. But the basic concept of the game is you take a sheet of paper, you write down any six skills that you want, anything that you can think of, write them down on your character sheet. And write them down in any size orientation that you want on the back of the piece of paper. When you want to use one of those abilities, what you have to do is you have to physically rip your character sheet and remove a piece of paper that has at least one letter from the skill that you are attempting to use. If you do that, the skill automatically succeeds. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, you do it. So what this game does is, and there's a lot of actually really neat intricacies within it, if I could do say so myself. Um, but uh, the, the what the game does is, it allows you to pick any six random things that you want, and they wor- you have to use these random things to solve your problems. So mm-hmm. some people will pick, you know, a, a, a good amount of you know your I have swordsmanship, I have archery, I have you know skills like that, and then some people decide to get crazy with it. Someone picked the Summon Cthulhu skill. They they oh forgot God. to someone to pick the the unsummon Cthulhu skill, so they were repeatedly summoning <laughs> Cthulhu to try and keep it away from the team long enough to complete the mission. And of course, the world was destroyed. We had a predestined dinosaur where he just was a dinosaur sometimes, which was an interesting <laughs> skill. Jewish woman guilt was a was another one that went over oh, uh, really interestingly. So there there's been a you know a good good oh, MacGyvering. MacGyvering was a phenomenal skill. I highly encourage MacGyvering. But uh, so yeah, that was that was the terrible RPG. Um, So that was the first little, it's a simple one page RPG. Like I said, if you want it, I've actually got it up for free on my website at thirdact.pub, or you can go on over to drive through RPG that a lot of people use on the third act publishing store. Uh, It's up there for free. So you can, if you want it, you can go take it, play it. It's, it's a wonderful amount of fun. So that was the first kind of official RPG that I did. Uh, And then reflections was the second one to come out. We've kind of already talked about length about that for my Patreon backers. uh, Just this last month in January, I ran a game called Tiny Guardian, which is a one-player RPG where essentially this cute, adorable, little, tiny uh, creature shows up at your door one day, and he's like, hey, I'm here to protect you. And then you have this adventure with him that plays out over a month's period of time. And it's honestly hard to hard to say any more than that without spoiling kind of what the game is. But it's a, a, a fun little experience, and that's up for my Patreon backers. And will probably be released as a PDF at some point during this this year and then then the big thing that has been consuming all of my time for the last few months has been Satanic Panic. And I'm guessing we're going to talk about that at some point later, but Satanic Panic is my first, like, full, this is going to be a full-page book, 200-page, medium-crunch, tabletop game where it is get together with a group of friends and a game master and have wonderful, absurd, tongue-in-cheek fun with it.
0: So it seems like both of us are a fan of John Wick for slightly different reasons? (laughs) You, I know you, you with the whole L5R and and uh every wonderful other thing he's done but uh but I personally am a, a big fan of
1: 7C. Ah, 7C is a wonderful game. I absolutely
0: love it. Pretty much the reason I got into this podcast was I met a group on uh, on Roll20, we started playing 7C. I met Mark and uh and Mark being the only uh, American person other than myself. I was like, "Hey, uh you seem to know what you're doing. Uh do you want to start a podcast? Because I've always I for recently I've had that mentality. I've had that I kind of want to start a podcast and, you know, just have conversations with people about this stuff. And, you know, podcasters like to hear themselves talk. That's <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> it's it's a
1: requirement for the job, yes. And by job, but, uh, I mean volunteered position that takes all of your time away. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah, uh I picked up 7th c and and fell in love the minute I opened the book. I we can list all the the reasons John Wick is amazing, but it would take uh, about a week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh yes, um, probably.
0: But for you, uh L5R is is a big part of your life. Mhm. And I think that would be an understatement.
1: Uh, A a small (laughs) understatement, yes.
0: Go ahead and tell me about that. Why, why are you so driven towards it? Why? Why do you say it's it's the best RPG?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the the greatest game known to mankind that is part of the highest form of art known to mankind. You mean? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Yes. Man,
1: I sound high and lofty. It's, it's good that I'm not talking about <laughs> my own stuff. But I'm a really really big fan of L5R. Um, and it got started when when I was a youngin. I was really big into collectible card games, uh, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, <laughs> Digimon. Dragon Ball Z, Gundam Wing if if there was a CCG out there I got it and played it I loved them all, man I loved them all and it was a I believe it was a Game Informer magazine that I got, which is a video game magazine, um, because I I enjoy video games as well, uh, that I got that had a booster pack of cards in it, and that was a booster pack of Legend of Five Rings cards and I remember when I got them as a kid and I opened them up they scared me Because I was playing Pokemon at the time and I pulled these cards that had samurai with swords and arrows stuck in them and blood coming out and just like they were terrifying and I was infatuated with these things. And me and my brother, we had about uh, – this pack came with about 20 cards. uh, To actually play L5R, you both need decks of 80 cards so you couldn't even come close to actually playing them. But man, we (laughs) thought we knew the rules and we played those 20 cards to death. Fast forward about a decade, and I've, I've moved to Ohio. I've just gotten into Dungeons and & Dragons, and I'm at a flea market, and I see they have this old block of uh, L5R cards for sale. And I was like, I remember L5R. And they were 20 bucks. and I was like, why not? I'll have a nostalgia trip. So I bought them for 20 bucks. bring them back, do some research, find out, oh, there's a tabletop role-playing game. So I buy fourth and fourth edition had just came out at this point. I buy fourth edition core rule book and start reading. And I'm immediately just infatuated with everything because L5 are, and I'm, I'm specifically a big fan of fourth edition, um, First and fourth, I think, are the two best editions. Second edition is total trash, and third edition is good, but fourth edition is just taking third edition and refining it and making it better, in my opinion. Um so there's not even a reason to play third because fourth is just a more polished version of third. So I'm a big fan of fourth edition L5R. As when I started reading it, I started going, This does things in a nice, super subtle way that I just want out of a tabletop experience. It, it, one, of, one of the things that I use as an example for L5R, uh, and for those those who don't know, L5R, it's like a sort of a mythical version of Feudal Japan. You play samurai, um, you know, but it's not actual Japan. It's this world called Rokugan, and it's, you know, it's very fantasy. There's magic, there's, there's uh, well, they're not really orcs. I guess there are ogres uh, that it, do exist, but there's goblins and naga, which are snake creatures, and things like that. You get it. It's a fantasy version of of uh, feudal Japan um, so as I'm reading through it uh, I, there's a couple things I noticed it goes okay you as a samurai uh, you have everything provided for you um, you have all the, the weapons that you need uh, you have you start off with a katana everyone knows a katana it is the mechanically the best weapon in the game so right from the mm-hmm. beginning, you get the best weapon in the game. Supplies, foods, and all that, you're a samurai. All you do is demand it of a peasant below you, and they provide you food. <laughs> they provide you whatever you want. Uh, dead bodies, not allowed to touch them. If you touch them, you lose honor. So immediately I'm like, well, wait a second. So items, money, wealth, looting bodies, all of them, you just completely struck them from the play experience. They can't happen in L5R because they're meaningless. What? What did you just do to my tabletop? (laughs) Because Dungeons and Dragons, all you're doing is looting bodies and collecting gold and saving up to get the next thing, the next magical item, the next, whatever, uh, L5R very specifically goes no. That's not what this play experience is about. We're going to strip all of those motivations away. So your motivations have to be character motivations, the stories, the interactions, um, you know, the things that you want to achieve. Constantly weighing, you know, your your own personal honor versus you know following the honor of your lord. These are the stories that the game demands that you tell, and I love it so much for that.
0: I picked up the PDFs after listening to the the one-shot that you did with yes. with the the whole group. I haven't read that much of it, but I found the PDFs, all the PDFs, all of the PDFs. <laughs> there's <laughs> on, a lot. Oh, there's a online. lot. And uh, I haven't even started making a chunk. But uh, go, going back to that whole it's all about the story and it's all about the experience, that's what I love. That's – that's the kind of gamer and that's the kind of GM I am. That's why I love 7th C so much. Mark and I would argue this is not a 7th C podcast at all. Don't I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like how you are with L5R, we're the same way with
1: 7th C. Yes, Talking Tabletop is actually an L5R podcast. That is probably not an untrue statement.
0: <laughs> just like we're not a 7th C podcast. I swear every episode we say something about 7th C.
1: <laughs> as, as, all right. Now, hold on. I, I, I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I've got to ask you a question. Are you you playing uh, first edition 7C or are you playing the new edition?
0: We're playing the new edition.
1: Okay. I, I love the dice mechanic in the new edition. I love, mm-hmm. love, love that. I got to play that with uh, John Wick during a play test before the Kickstarter happened. And uh, I, I'm going to admit that I'm a terrible human being because even though I, I've gotten my 7th C, 2nd edition book, I've not cracked it open since I've got it. But I, I'm guessing they hadn't changed that much because it was only a few months before. You still roll all the dice and pair up tens, right? That's the, the core Correct. mechanic. Okay. Uh, I love yeah. that. Oh, I think it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And it's so simple. It's yep. it's not a it's not a crunchy game. Right. It's it's really not because when you think crunchy games you think D&D and Pathfinder and mm-hmm. you can't even compare these. It's like apples and oranges. I started out playing Pathfinder, that moved into to 4th edition, which I don't talk about because I don't like it.
1: <laughs> you are wrong, sir. I love my 4th edition.
0: I know. I have to give you hell for it though. <laughs> because you're on my podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair If I point. was if I was on yours, you could give me hell for it. It's
1: <laughs> a fair point.
0: I personally didn't like it because it seemed too complex and way too way too crunchy just because I mean back in the past, I didn't know that I preferred storytelling games. And now that I've played, you know, I played uh I played 7C. I've been playing that for a, a good amount of time, couple months. You know, regularly. Recently, I went went to my local game store here because I found out every Saturday night they do a, they have a couple groups that get together and and play D anD D and Pathfinder. And I was like, okay, I, I don't have a, a regular gaming group anymore, so I'm gonna go and see how it is. Now they were playing 3.5, which is fine because it's exactly like Pathfinder 3.5, which is what I played back in the past. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, because I. I don't know if it was the group or the game or just I don't like that kind of system anymore. But it took us. I, I was there for almost two and a half hours, and we had three rounds of combat.
1: Jeez, whew. yeah, that's rough. <laughs> that's rough.
0: Well, I mean, the the GM knew what he was doing. He he uh, he majored in cartography in college. He's probably close to 60, and he's been running this exact campaign for 20 years. The way I run my games and the way I like my games is I enjoy flexibility. You know, I enjoy... If, if a rule doesn't work quite right, how we like it, we move it or switch it and, or just ignore it completely. You know, the more I play, the more I realize I'm more about the story and I'm more about these characters interacting with this environment and with with the NPCs and, and each other and growing their relationships. I don't think it's worth sticking to all the rules 100% if it takes away from that story aspect.
1: Absolutely, and and I I'll take that a step further and say that I think we're we're getting better within the community about designing games to encourage that type of play and designing mechanics to encourage that type of storytelling play. You know, ten years ago. They essentially didn't exist. 20 years ago, they really didn't exist aside from a, a few, you know, what would have been considered fringe projects at the time. But now we're starting to to learn and get better with that kind of stuff. We see it with D&D 5th Edition. They finally started to incorporate a little bit of these storytelling mechanics into the game. And I don't think they'll ever go full-on indie storytelling with with Dungeons & Dragons, but it's exciting to see them start to go, hey, this is a very acceptable play style. It does not have to be a minis war game. We can make it about this and still have it be D&D, still have it be Pathfinder. And the funny thing is it works really well doing that too.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. The reason I stopped playing 4th edition was because I picked up 5th edition and liked it better. You know, that's just my personal preference because I didn't like all the crunchiness that fourth edition had.
1: Yeah, uh, fourth edition's biggest curse was it tried to do something new for shame on it. As well as it (laughs) did, it it did something that D and D players had wanted for so long. Or let me, I'm going to rephrase that. It did something that D and D players said they wanted for so long, but didn't realize they actually didn't want that. Um, So the new thing that it tried is it went, hey, we're actually going to be different. We are going to there's a massive MMO market. We are going to try and make a tabletop MMO. Don't ever let any Anyone from WotC lie to you. That's exactly what they did. <laughs> Everyone knows this. I don't know why some of them still try and deny it. You you saw that the MMO market was huge. You made your tabletop game an MMO. Own it. Accept it. That's what you all did. There's nothing wrong with that decision in my book. Um, what that did was it brought in a lot of new people to tabletop while alienating a lot of people that wanted a new edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And I think that was why the, the edition wars became as fierce as they did because there was, together with an edition wars, there was an undiagnosed culture clash that was also occurring within tabletop together then the, the uplift of the, the indie game design community, the uplift of Kickstarter and the, the beginning of, of story games, just, just wrecking the, the war gamers good times. But, uh, um, that's what fourth edition did. And then the thing that a lot of people had said they wanted over and over for so long, but didn't realize what a problem it was is they said they wanted Balance. They kept throwing this word out there, especially with, oh, remember wizards back in D&D? Oh, they're so weak at the beginning and then become too strong there's no balance between classes. Well, guess what? <laughs> D&D 4th edition gave you perfect balance between all of the classes and everyone went, but the classes feel the same now. Yes, you got what you want. You got what you, <laughs> That's asked, what for you asked for with exactly. not understanding what what you're asking for actually meant. Um, <laughs> and those to me were the two big, I, I think, things that caused points of contention within D&D 4th Edition. I think D&D 4th Edition did exactly what it intended to very, very well. There's a lot of tabletop players that do not want what it intended to do.
0: Be careful what you wish for, yep. because that's what you're gonna get. Yep. <laughs> Moving forward a little bit, let's talk about your uh, your Kickstarter. Yes, let's talk about Satanic Panic.
1: Uh, yes, at, at this point, the, the, due to the magic of, of podcasting release schedules, uh, the Kickstarter is not live. As of this coming out, I believe uh, it will be live. So I'm I'm a nervous wreck at the time this is going into your ears, uh, and I'm pulling my hair out and turning gray and just otherwise miserable. But right now, I'm just, like, preparing for all of that. So, <laughs> yes, uh, my new Kickstarter, which goes live uh, on February 28th for Satanic Panic.
0: I noticed that uh, you have a couple episodes on, on your podcast. Of uh are, are they playthroughs? Are they backgrounds?
1: What what is that? Yes. Um what I did very, very foolishly is on top of doing uh Talking Tabletop, my my regular show, I decided to do another weekly podcast where we do an actual play of Satanic Panic. It's called Satanic Panic, where we are doing a live playthrough, I'm gonna say short campaign. It's gonna be twenty episodes, that's it and done. So you can actually go and listen to Satanic Panic over on one shot podcast and hear the game being played. I will give a small small warning of it, of we are playing that game and we recorded most of it very early in the development of the game, so it's a lot of, of wonderful entertainment. Um, you don't get as much of the mechanical side of the game. If you want to know the mechanical side, you can go to the Kickstarter page and download the playtest document that's like 30-some pages long. Uh, it's pretty pretty large document uh, to learn how all the rules of the game, which I'm also stupidly excited about, but if you want to just sort of <laughs> hear it in action, hear some wonderful entertainment, and you get to see sort of how it's played out oh yeah you can go listen to the satanic panic podcast the
0: the story and and all the narration is amazing i I applaud you for that thank you thank you i i enjoy the uh (coughs) the whole feel of it because you know everybody that's playing D &D is satanic and it's (laughs) is uh (laughs) not to be trusted
1: (laughs) can can i can i give the, the the pitch of it
0: Absolutely, go for it.
1: Okay, so so Satanic Panic, for, for those who are curious what this thing is, it is the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, there is a, a fear that's sweeping across the world, and that is that there's this thing called tabletop that has come into our world. <sighs> People are scared and concerned that their kids are turning into monsters and summoning demons for playing this game. There is widespread panic, which, of course, as we know, is something that actually happened. Uh, here's the catch. Everything they say is actually true. Tabletop players are actually summoning demons into the world. They are actually turning into horrible monsters. And you play government agents that go around and break up rings of tabletop players. So it is a, a wonderful amount of of tongue-in-cheek fun sort of poking at the absurdity of, of course, the Satanic Panic era as it actually occurred. And saying, hey, what if that actually happened and what if you all played kind of the bad guys uh but at the same time within the the lore of the world they are actually summoning demons they are actually causing problems so it's like yeah we kind of have to stop them we just can't have a whole bunch of 14 year old kids bringing demons into the world we have to do something about that uh so it's a wonderful amount of of tongue-in-cheek fun as as you get to go around and and kill people that play tabletop
0: i absolutely love it jim i'm i'm very i'm looking forward to that that kickstarter and uh you can you can find me being one of the first ones to to back you. <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that.
0: Tell some people where they can where they can find you, how they can support you.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, the best thing to do for me right now is to go on over to Kickstarter. I could tell you out a URL, but who cares? You know what you're gonna do? You're gonna go to Google. You're gonna <laughs> type in the words Kickstarter, and you're gonna type in the word Satanic Panic, and it'll pop up because that's how the internet works. That's the easiest thing to do. So if you're interested in in supporting me, that's the best thing to do. Is that Kickstarter is now currently live. Uh, this is a very big project. You know, this is a a full sized RPG. This is a hundred thousand plus words. The art budget is absurd for this thing. There's a lot, a uh, lot of pieces to it. Uh, so, if you would like to support me, if you're interested in this project, go on over to Kickstarter, Satanic Panic, uh, and lend your support. If it's the kind of game that you're interested in, if you want to directly interact with me, the best thing to do is I'm on Twitter. I'm very, very active on Twitter, uh, so you can reach me at GM Jim McClure. That's GM mcclure at GM Jim McClure, uh, and I'm happy happy. to talk. I'm always around and I love talking to people.
0: Yeah. And uh, if you want, you can pick up Reflections. Shameless plug. That's right. Oh yeah, that's (laughs) right.
1: I'm I'm trying to sell stuff, aren't I? Trying to do this whole game thing. Yes. You can go on over to our website, which is thirdact.pub. And there is a storefront on that where you can buy the PDF or the physical copy or the PDF and the physical copy of Reflections and play that wonderful game as well.
0: If you want to hear how it goes, uh, an actual playthrough, you you guys did one on uh, One Shot Podcast. Yeah, I did one with, everywhere.
1: Uh, um, <laughs> with James Damato, didn't you? I did. Uh, you, you can listen to me and James play it um, on the One Shot Podcast Network. You can listen to myself and Michael play it on the RPG Academy. You can listen to me and Jeff Stormer play it on the Party of One Podcast, and you can listen to me and Senda play it on the uh, She's a Super Geek Podcast. Although, fair warning on that one that one's a little bit different because we are not playing samurai we are telling a story that was part two of a different totally absurd game that happened before so that one's a little little difficult to get into oh and i should not totally forget you can also listen to a fantastic game of me playing it with the angry gm over at the angry his blog over there we did an ap of it so yes there's a lot of good places you can hear it
0: I definitely need to check
1: that one out. I, I love the angry jam Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, and that one was a that one got that was one of the few games I had to do some decompression after the game because it got it got heavy. that was a great game. me and him played that at Gen Con together. It was really good
0: I bet yeah I, you two in a room playing playing a very heavy game like that i can I can imagine it was it was pretty heated <laughs> at the end of that.
1: Ah <laughs> oh, good times, always good times.
0: That game brings out so many emotions that you didn't, you you wouldn't think it it would.
1: It is nothing but distilled emotional manipulation. That's exactly what Reflections is. <laughs> that's
0: a that's a nice elevator pitch. Of it. <laughs> hey, you want you want that, distilled? That emotional... one doesn't sell as many copies.
1: <laughs> Dueling Samurai sells copies. Distilled emotional manipulation, not as much.
0: <laughs> hey, it depends on your audience. <laughs> Uh, Any any last words? Any any last things you want to uh, send out to the multiverse?
1: Uh, No, I think that's about it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a ton of fun.
0: It's great to have you, Jim. And I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you much. And that was my interview with Jim McClure. Like always, you can find this episode on soundcloud.com slash tabletop radio hour and on iTunes. If you want to contact us, you can find us on Twitter, at TabletopCast, and our email address is TabletopRadioHour at Yahoo.com. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you next time.